Hello, welcome back to the Athletics Baseball Podcast with me, your host, Taylor. And today, we're going to be talking about a couple things. It's just sort of a grab bag of of topics today. Nothing too huge or groundbreaking. Just wanted to talk a little bit more about Shintaro Fujinami. I saw some of his interview that he did with the A's, and just real quick, talk about that. Some news about Ramon Laureano, and a little bit about one of the players on the A's right now that I don't, I didn't know much about him until I just saw some stuff today, and you guys probably have not heard of him either, but that's Brent Rooker. And we're just going to talk a little bit about who he is, what maybe we can see from him on the A's, and some other things about that. A little a little snippet about Ramon Laureano, which will sort of run into the state of the A's, and I might make that a recurring segment of the show going forward. Sort of like a State of the Union address, but State of the A's. And briefly, I'll also talk about another seemingly bad news article that has come out. I think that there was an article about this subject both on the SF Chronicle and on Bloomberg, but it's regarding a lawsuit that the A's lost... And the headlines for these articles are always doom and gloom when it comes to the A's, when you're getting articles from SF Chronicle or basically anywhere else, because you don't really see a lot of Oakland-friendly local coverage. There, There's not a lot of coverage in local newspapers that discusses a lot of these topics that become news on places like San Francisco Chronicle. Well, anyway, before we get into that, before we get into that, I'll just ask you once again to like, subscribe, follow, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. Check out our Instagram at athletics underscore baseball underscore podcast. I'll link that in the description. If you want to reach out to me, send any emails with questions, comments, whatever, over to athleticsbaseballpodcast at gmail.com. All right, why don't we get into the first topic of the day, Shintaro Fujinami, or Fuji, as he said he would like to be called, like Mount Fuji. That's what he said on the interview, and I think that's pretty cool. I don't have too much to say new about him because we already went in-depth about Fuji, but just watching some of that interview, because when I released my previous episode, the interview had not been released yet because it had not actually been an official announcement by the A's yet. I didn't break the news or anything. It had been reported by several people, but... I did jump out there before the A's officially made their announcement, which is why initially I did not even know how much his 
contract was for. Now we know three and a quarter million dollars one year with another one million dollars in incentives. But I just wanted to talk a little bit about that interview that he had with the A's where they sort of rolled out the red carpet for him, which was pretty cool. And he he really presented himself well and got me more excited for him than I originally was. And I was already fairly excited, but I think that this guy actually has quite a bit of star power. He's got a gravitas, and I like it. I think he's a very likable player. Hopefully he's actually going to help increase the draw for the fans to going to games and stuff like that, and I think that the A's might be seeing that or, or predicting this thinking about it just like I am right now, and and they've actually just today, they've actually just today from something that I saw, they're they're putting out a deal for the opening game series, not the opening day game, but the second game in the series, where you buy a ticket for $20, which is already pretty good, considering it's the season opening series, but with it, you get a jersey t-shirt. So not like an official jersey or anything, but a t-shirt with the jersey number, which I believe his number is going to be 11. And then I, I saw a picture of it. I didn't look too deeply into it, but I think it says his name in Japanese on it, which is pretty cool, which is probably already worth the $20. I'd maybe like to get my hands on one of those myself. So, if you haven't seen that, and you're an A's fan, you're excited about Shintaro Fujinami, you want to go see Fuji in person, my bet is the A's are going to play him that day, game two of the season, and he's going to be probably the number two guy in the rotation going forward through the season. So, that's that's it for... Fuji, want to talk a little bit about Brent Rooker. Who? That's right, you've never heard of him. Unless you are somehow listening and you are a Padres fan, or a Royals fan, or a Twins fan. Those are probably the only fan bases who've ever heard of him, and probably not very much. You might not even remember him, even if you did hear about him, because he didn't play very much for either of those three teams which he was on. He was drafted by the Twins, he was a first-round pick, and he went through their farm system, played a couple of games for them in 2020, the shortened season, and actually did pretty well. I think then he played with them in 2021, did not do super well, did not stay up in the big leagues very much, and he was traded from the Twins with Taylor Rogers to San Diego for a couple of their guys. So the Padres were trying to get themselves a good reliever and also grabbed a former first-round draft pick, a relatively highly a relatively highly touted prospect who 
had accumulated less than a year of service time, and in his second call-up to the big leagues in 2021, did not do all that great, but was not atrocious. He got on base at a 291 clip and had a 397 slugging for a 688 OPS, which in 2021 was just slightly below average, and he hit nine home runs in 58 games. It seems like he's a big power guy, but more on that in a second. So then he came up for the Padres, only played two games, didn't get a hit, and was traded to Kansas City for one of their guys, a catcher, and then Kansas City, not very long after, put him up on waivers, and the A's picked him up for free. So that's how we got him. Now a little bit about him. He's listed at six foot four, two twenty-five. It'll be his age twenty-eight season. He is a righty and he plays left field. So that is another outfielder for the A's. Remember we've got Aledmus Diaz, who can play left, Tony Kemp who can play left. Seth Brown, who can play right. Ramon Laureano, who can play anywhere. Astori Ruiz, who we don't know where he's going to settle yet, but he's an outfield guy, and we want him to we want him to play because he's a prospect. He's got a lot of upside in the future if he can settle into the big leagues properly and and finish his development. And then we've got Christian Pache, who is an amazing center fielder defender, but so far has not been able to hit. Although I believe every year he has slightly improved. So yes, last year in the majors with the A's, that was an improvement over his past performances. So Maybe maybe you also just don't like to hear that, but if he, if he keeps improving little bit by little bit, eventually he will be a viable center fielder with his top-level glove, and if he can just hit... If he can hit league average, you know, 250 or even 230 batting average with at least a 300 on base and somewhere in the 300s on on slugging maybe maybe probably not more than 350 you know if he if he can have a, a 650 ops with a nice on base percentage then he's viable so all i'm saying is that's a that's a lot of outfielders and this guy, actually, Brent Rooker, was not really on my radar before. I mean, I know I've, I've said before as well, there's a lot more guys than what I'm talking about that want a shot, maybe that are ready for a shot. And if some of these guys have some great minor league performances, then they've got to get their shot. Even if it's just for one or two weeks, you want to get them... A shot when the time is right, when they're performing well, 
So it's getting a little crowded out there. A lot of the guys that we signed are on short-term deals. They're in arbitration, things like that. So it's not like we've overcommitted to anything here. I think that it can work. It's just going to be a lot of juggling. And it is just a little scary when it gets sort of crowded like that. But he was a first-round pick, like I said, Brent Rooker. Formerly, he was actually ranked 92nd in the top 100 prospect list. At one point in time, there was a lot of enthusiasm surrounding this guy. And I just want to go over some of his stats here and see what we're looking at. So, like I said in the majors, he played not that many games. He's played 81 so far in total. And you can look at that as a total. It was over three years and three different teams. But you could look at it in total and say, oh, this isn't very good. You know, 81 games, 10 home runs, which would mean 20 for a season. 200 batting average, 289 on base, 379 slugging for a 668 OPS. It's not terrible, actually, but it's not good. And then when you actually look at the different seasons and everything, it looks even worse because his first seven games were great with a 960 OPS the first year with Minnesota. The second year, it was basically identical to the stats that I just read off. And then last year, between San Diego and Kansas City, granted he didn't get, he had 16 games total last year that he played in the majors, but a 378 OPS, he did not settle in. Maybe it's all the bouncing around between teams and and things like that, but it's not highly encouraging to look at that, but then you have to realize that he hasn't played a lot in one stretch, and people have to get used to the big leagues. They do. So looking at his minor league stuff, which you will, of course, expect to see a little regression from, but it tells you a little bit more about what type of player, if he can put it together, which is always the question with minor league players making their major league transition, if he can put it together, this tells you more of what type of player he could be. He played most of his time in the higher levels of the minor leagues, and my guess is he was dealing with some injury problems in 2019, but he did. He went basically his first full season after the draft straight up to double-A, I believe is what I'm looking at. So he basically never had below a 760 OPS in the minors, and that 760 was just in two games in the rookie leagues in 2019 when my guess is he was rehabbing from an injury because the rest of that season he played in AAA. And basically, if you just look at his AAA stats, every season the lowest he had was a 931. So that's pretty good, and that's AAA. It, you know, it's not... We're not talking low A or high A here. The thing to note about his stats is the power. I mean, in AAA, he was 
he was hitting a 535 slugging his first season in AAA, 605 the second, well, on average, the second season in AAA was a 564, and the third season was a 649 across two different teams. So he's posting OPSs over 930 in AAA in three different seasons. In 2022, across two different triple-A teams because of the trade, 28 home runs in 81 games. If you just do the math on that, which is real simple, 162-game season, that's 56 home runs in a year. He's not going to hit 56 home runs in the majors, but maybe he could hit 30, you know? And, And we're talking about a guy who still hasn't really gotten his extended chance in the big leagues. You know, this is this is a big guy with looks like a lot of power just looking at the stats and maybe the A's can make something work for him. So, there's just another guy to keep on your watch list. And speaking about outfielders, let's talk a little bit about Ramon Laureano and some news that I saw that counters what I have been saying, but maybe it doesn't. Now, that's really confusing, especially because you don't know what I'm talking about. There was something released recently, an article or something I saw, that said, oh, maybe the A's are not really interested in trading Ramon Laureano right now. They do not seem to be shopping him around they got some trade interest from some other teams, I think the Twins, actually, and the A's basically didn't want any part of it, and I know that a lot of you fans out there right now, A's fans, I know how you are, a lot of you, all right? Oh, good, I didn't want to get rid of him, I like Loriano. want to keep him, we have to put together the best team that we can, and... We don't have any center fielders that are going to be better than him right now, and that's probably true. We'll have to see Asturi Ruiz, maybe. You know, there's a chance. But, yeah, that's that's kind of true. He's probably our best starting center fielder. Now, that said, I think I'm still right. I think the A's are still going to trade him, and you should not be upset about that. Here's why on both of those. First of all, I think that they're still going to trade him if he has a good year. Because there's a big logjam every every position on the team, basically. Except catcher one of the two middle infield slots where Nick Allen is going to continue to get his playing time in one of those two slots consistently, I think. And... That might be it. The other guys are sort of, you know, I mean, I think Jace Peterson will be on third most of the time, I think. Which, by the way, the two-year deal for Jace Peterson also takes us directly to and then ends when Zach Geloff would be predicted to be making his Major League debut 2025 is his estimated time of arrival, and he is one of the eight's top prospects. I think he's ranked number three. Number three on the A's, not in 
all of baseball. But interesting, isn't it? Does it it sort of looks like exactly what I've been saying. The A's are not setting themselves up to win right now because the A's will not win right now unless they go full Mets and the A's are not going to go full Mets and they probably can't go full Mets even if they did want to. But they don't want to (laughs) and they're not doing it. So stop thinking that we're going to be like the Mets at any point in time no matter who the owners are. Instead, hope that we can continue to make crafty plays and good draft picks, which is what most of the teams have to do. I'm not saying anything crazy there, but there is more to talk about with all of that. The long-term game plan of the A's, that's going to be a whole separate topic. I know I keep mentioning whole separate topics, whole other episodes, and I haven't done any of them yet, but I'm saving them because they're going to be significant episodes, a little bit harder to make, I think, because they're they're a little bit complicated, and there's a lot to talk about. And so I, I just want to get them, get those episodes their own episode with enough time to focus on it and dig into it and not be distracted by other smaller topics and and little, you know, breaking news stuff which has continued to happen for the A's which nobody really thought that that would happen and I'm just mentioning this right now because all of these, after last year, which was the second worst season that the A's have ever had, a lot of people were really mad, understandably. And with all of the signings this season, some people are beginning to have hope that we will be good. And even I think that we could have a surprise good season like in 2012 on our hands, better than expected, maybe in the run for a wild card slot, maybe, I don't know. That's still seems a little far-fetched to say, even though we've made so many moves in the offseason. And we do have a core of good young guys that are that are on the bubble of making their permanent big league appearances. So take that for what it is. Ramon Laureano, I think he's still on the trading block, but he's not being shopped around right now. I think if he has a good first half of the season, I think they're going to shop him around at the trade deadline and clear up some space for some of these young guys. And I think that if he has a really bad season, they might just keep him around. They wouldn't have to pay him much. But if we trade him off, you should be excited about it. Not sad, unless we're like, you know, right neck and neck for a wild card game. And then I think we'll all be a little mad if they trade off Loriano. But other than that, if we're sort of looking like we're out of the running, you know, if we're 10 games back from from a wild card slot or something like that, no harm in, in trading off Ramon Loriano. This is supposed to be another rebuilding year anyway, and... 
the ETA on us being good is not 2023. It might be 2024. It's probably 2025. And we might not even be all that good in 2025 because remember, some of our guys will be still making their debuts in 2025, potentially, unless they rush them up to try and get everyone on a similar timeline here. Or maybe they just develop that quickly and they need to be rushed up because they're ready. I don't know. But I do think that our timeline is not this year for when we want to be good. I think 2025 is the goal, and we're just going to be on an upward incline of progress every year between last year and then. Last year was obviously the bottom. It's not getting any worse than that. I've already made my predictions a 75-win season, 70-75 wins. I'm now saying that was before the Fujinami signing, and I'm now going to say at least 75 wins, which would be pretty crazy, pretty crazy, because I'm not going to say, you know, a a 50-50 team, a 500 team. I'm not going to go that far, and I already feel a little bit crazy for saying at least 75 wins, because it would be crazy, because we would be going from a really bad team, I mean, a 60-win team, to a 75-plus win team, 15 wins. I mean, the Rangers spent money last year before the season, like a lot of money, and got couple of stars, and they've got Marcus Semyon over there, too, and although he started off the year horribly, he actually picked it up and did really well by the end of the season, and he was on a hot streak at one point, but they only got 68 wins, and that just shows you right there, signing one big star player for $25 million or or however much, if the rest of your roster isn't on point, then you're going to have a bad time. Same with the Angels. I mean, they keep trying to just spend money, and they've got Otani, they've got Trout, they signed Anthony Rendon, and they actually had a pretty decent pitching crew at one point recently, which has seemingly always been their struggle. And... They just don't have the full team behind them. And then injury problems, too. I'm not going to take that away. But it would be crazy for the A's to get to that 75-win point. And I'm feeling a little crazy. That's what I think is going to happen. So that was a little bit of rambliness about the state of the A's. I'll try and be more succinct next time get it get it more on point for you but that's my first go at the state of the A's sort of where they're looking to be this year where they're going to be looking to progress to over the next year or two and what recent things have affected that or not worked out or worked out and that's that so now let's just talk a little bit about the article, the 
subject of the article, which has created two articles that I know of, San Francisco Chronicle and Bloomberg, and oh no, looks like bad news again, but it's more so a bad headline. The headline from Bloomberg Law, Oakland A's strike out in ballpark fight at California Top Court on San Francisco Chronicle, State Supreme Court rejects Oakland A's legal challenge over metal waste near proposed ballpark site. So you hear those two headlines, and the thing to keep in mind is the vast, vast, vast majority of people read the headline, don't really have a lot of interest in reading a whole article that's pages long, that oftentimes doesn't really say anything very interesting or important. And so they just read the the headline, maybe the footnotes and description right below the headline, maybe the first paragraph or two. And that's about it. I think that a lot of media sites like to take advantage of that and say something in their headline that is overly dramatized or a bad look for so-and-so, and and they're trying to tint the way that it looks in one direction or another. And I think that probably all news websites that are talking about something that could potentially be controversial or whatever, you know, they might just do it for clicks. And controversy and drama, and especially with sports stuff, you know, that controversy and drama is what sort of feeds the energy of the fans, which I'm, I'm talking about angry energy, getting getting people riled up, and if it gets people to click on it, then they're happy, right? So take all of these articles with a big grain of salt, because I don't know what Bloomberg has for or against the A's, but I don't think that the writers of the San Francisco Chronicle that write about the A's are particularly big A's fans. That's just my impression. They don't really seem to write anything positive about the A's, and there is positive stuff to write about, but this article, just to give a real quick summary and background, there's a metal processing plant, is my understanding, that's nearby Howard Terminal. And the A's organization is looking at this and saying, my, ge- my guess is they're looking at this and saying, this is ugly and it's going to be a blight on fans who want to go to a game, and potentially noisy. I don't don't know. It would seem like a metal processing plant would be kind of noisy. And they want to get them out of there. And the argument that the A's organization made is that it's uh, polluting the air and the water and... I imagine that previously it wasn't really a big deal because that sort of industrial sector next to Jack London, industrial, shipping, um, warehouses, all, all of this stuff, is not really a 
underutilized area by the public. It's right next to Jack London, but you just sort of stay away from it. You, there's no real reason to walk down into that area, usually. There's nothing there, so up until now, I guess it hasn't been a problem. But it's funny that this company that has this metal processing plant right there made... So the A's argument is that it's an environmental hazard for the water, the air, and and the people that would be around. Um, Hazardous to the environment as well as people. And it's just funny because this company that owns the processing plant tried to argue against the A's moving into Howard Terminal by saying that it would be environmentally hazardous for the A's to move into Howard Terminal. So that is kind of just... It's kind of weird to me, and it definitely seems contradictory of this company, because a metal waste processing plant does seem like it would not be fantastic for the local environment and the people that are in the area, and I know you probably have to do something with this material, but first of all, having it right on the water doesn't really seem to make that much sense to me. But second of all, I don't know, it's just it's just really ironic that this company is also try they tried to stop the process for Oakland building get, getting uh, an agreement for How- Howard Terminal by saying basically that it would pose an environmental hazard for the A's to build on that site. So yeah, I don't know. I just think it's kind of silly. I just think they don't want the A's moving in there, and probably because if the A's did move in, they might have to shut down their business or or change something about what they do. I'm I don't know. I'm just taking a guess there, but that's that's the article, and it's. As you can see, I mean, I didn't read the article to you or anything like that, but I'm just pointing out that that's all that really this is about. The A's tried to bring this up to the Supreme Court to say, hey, look at this company here putting out environmental hazards and and human hazards in this area, if we're going to be building a ballpark here, then maybe that shouldn't happen. And then it got shut down. Uh, shot down, I should say. Which doesn't really mean anything as far as the likelihood of Howard Terminal being built. But based off of that headline, when you read Oakland A's strikeout in ballpark fight at California Top Court, your initial reaction is, Oh man, looks like there's another roadblock to the A's getting their Oakland ballpark. It looks like Oh, looks like this that's a strikeout. That's the that's the final count. That's we're done. You know, it's it's just 
a hyperbolic headline that doesn't really say anything important, and I don't think it really has any sort of effect on what's going to happen with the ballpark. And that that's that, basically. There's not much to the article. So that's sort of all I've got for you today. Thanks for tuning in and listening to episode 11 as we continue to chug along on the Athletics Baseball Podcast. I hope you all have a great weekend, and I will see you on Monday.